I thought we'd have your attention after that one. We're going to be reminding ourselves of that each Sunday leading up to our celebration Christmas Eve. And I do hope you will take those words and that invitation to heart and focus on the gift that God is with us that we can be still and know that he is God. And speaking of invitation, now I'm going to tell a story here. I'm going to make the transition. Tell a story without, without permission, so uh, names will be changed to protect the innocent here. But last week, uh, we talked about the great invitation of our God to come and to be still and to know, and to know that Christ is Lord and Savior. And then we shared about, we pick up that mission, and we share the invitation. And I talked about, you know, everybody loves an invitation. So the great news is that somebody took me up on it, and they were having an open house, and uh, they said they, they just, here's the thing, they actually went, and then they invited their neighbors, and their neighbors got all excited, but here's what struck me when they reiterated that story to me. The comment was this, George, you were telling the truth, and it's as if that was a shocking statement to this person to recognize that their pastor was telling them the truth, and I want you to know that Yes, I am telling you the truth. I am telling you God's word. Um, but how beautiful that somebody was able to actually immediately, in a sense, uh, understanding this, kind of put that to the test. And, and to know that people love to be invited. So our encouragement is, again, invite, share. You are the hands and the feet, the body of Christ. And he is doing his mission through you, and especially now in this Christmas season. This is the transition to our Christmas series. Today we're wrapping up the uh, seven-word series, and this word is going to really fully transition us now into our celebration of Christmas together. And as we make this transition, we turn, this, uh, turn our eyes and our hearts towards the manger, towards Christ. I, I need to do a quick recap of where we started, because I very intentionally wanted to bookend this series for you. So at the front end, the front book, was yes. The word yes. And our key verse there, and I'm going to read that again for you, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We learn that in the Bible, when we understand that all of God's promises are pointing us towards Jesus Christ, we have the assurance, we have the confidence, we know that they are all yes now in Jesus Christ. Everything that God promised for us is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He is the Lord, He is Savior, He is God with us, He is ruling, reigning, returning. We have a sure hope and confidence of this. And so, everything is yes, and our response is Amen. And what I told you is that I really want us to be a biblical church in the sense that we become a yes and amen kind of church. That I promise on my part that we will declare the promises of God. I will declare the yeses and you will respond with the amen. amen. Or the verily, verily, as somebody said that week. I love that. So we are going to be a yes and amen kind of a church. But now here is the turn. Here, here, here is, is where I want us to move. Is God only yes and amen? Is God only truth? We say yes to the truths of God, but is that the fullness of who God is? Let's look at one of my favorite verses around this Christmas season. John chapter 1, verse 14. We read, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus, the Word, becomes flesh and lives among us, retains our humanity, holds us as brothers and sisters, and is coming to redeem us. Yes, 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 and amen to these truths. But what we read here so clearly, and what I love about this, this, this memorize this verse. Put the, I mean, this is just one of these verses to set the heart. He was full of grace and truth. Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. He is not part grace and part truth. He is the fullness of the grace of God. He is the fullness of the truth of God. What we do in our response to that is we do our best to embody, to embrace, and to be the fullness of the grace and the truth of God. Let me make this observation for us, and I think this is an observation that you, many of you, will say you have observed this too. We don't always get that balance perfect, right? We try to live full of truth, and we try to live full of grace. Not everybody's had this experience, but many would have had this experience. Sometimes we grow up in a church, and we're kind of a Christ-centered family, and going in that direction. Some of us end up growing up in really truthy churches, and that's great. But truth without grace, we know, can be abused and can become a hammer. Somehow, truth abused can become legalistic. And it's all about truth, 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 and all lies are from Satan. And if any, you know, you know we kind of, we can go too far. This is kind of weird to say, right? But we, if we just get all truthy, that can become really legalistic and become a bit of a hammer. And maybe some of us have that background. And we've been, in a sense, been recovering from that. Maybe others went to a church then that said, we're going to be a grace church. So it's grace, 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 grace. But grace abuse be can, can become licensed for anything goes. Because I'm always forgiven. I can do whatever I want to whoever I want, however I want, and I'll always be forgiven. So we can abuse both truth, and probably some of us have seen it abused, right? And we can abuse grace as license to do whatever, and that can lead harm to self and to others. So what we need to do is seek to embody both the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ in our church. Will we get it right? Probably not, but we'll try and walk in the fullness of both. Now, our response then to the truth of God is the yes and amen, but since God is full of truth, we say yes and amen, and full of grace. The question now for us, and this is the turn to Christmas, the question becomes, what is the proper response to the grace of God? And let me propose to you that the right response to the grace of God is our word for the day, wow. That's kind of the common vernacular word. If I really wanted to go into the truth of Scripture and sound really biblical, I might hear say, the hallelujah, the glory hallelujah of God. Because what we see throughout Scripture, now, now pay attention to, with me for this as I want to make this turn, and then we're going to go deeper into this. What we see revealed in Scriptures from beginning to end, and we're going to look briefly at Isaiah and then at Revelation, because the prophet Isaiah and John both given an image of things to come, and what we see is that heavenly hosts declare through the ages not yes and amen. They already know the truth. They are already living in light of the truth. What is their response? Glory, hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy. 
And so once we know the truth, once we embrace the truth, once we've said yes and amen, we can actually get on with the business and join heavenly hosts and stand in awe, stand in worship, stand in hallelujah, wow, to the presence, to the grace of God. And by the time I get to the end of this message, I'm hoping that we can become a balanced church that is both a yes and amen church, but also a glory, hallelujah, wow, to the grace of God kind of church. Are you with me? Is it making sense? Is it making sense? All right. You're not just beautiful people. You're smart people too. We're going to dig in and I'm going to show you some of this in the scriptures. So we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 6 and I'm going to read a big passage here. This is, for me, a seminal passage of Scripture. This frames the work of worship that we do as a church, that we live into in our lives. Uh, If you want to do some research on this, I would recommend R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God. Wonderful book. I pretty much stole everything henceforth from him. There you go. So, here is what the word of the Lord is for us this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, This has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And this is one of those passages where I feel it just has to be said, This is the word of the Lord. All right, a couple old people that grew up in a truthy kind of church there. That was the test and she passed. All right. I learned a lesson about worship in college when I went to see one of my favorite bands. Please don't judge me. I was young. I would certainly never like them now. The Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, actually, I still like them. So, so I, it, was, it was like 1992, I think it was. And I got a ticket. And by the way, it cost $20 to get this ticket. This will really resonate with some people. Others, you're going to have no idea the bands I'm talking about. You can look them up. On the bill was Red Hot Chili Peppers. Opening band was Smashing Pumpkins. In front of that was opening band, unnamed. It turned out that opening band was Pearl Jam. So, I know, I mean, amen, hallelujah. We can like walk away now, like we can be done. Woo, I mean, it was. So, we, I, go, we go, I go to see this show. Pearl Jam comes on. They're amazing. We're like, this band is going to be huge. And lo and behold, they became Pearl Jam. Then the weirdest thing happened. We're all so stoked about the Smashing Pumpkins. Apologies if these, you're not a grunge kid from the 90s. <laughs> but we are so excited to see Smashing Pumpkins. But something strange happened. As soon as they got on, they started talking about how great they were. 
how you're going to talk about how you saw the smashing pumpkins when we were on the rise. And they just started to talk about how amazing they were, how incredible they were, how they were the best, how they were going places, how they were all that in a bag of chips. I mean, they were just on and on about themselves. But the more they were on and on about themselves, the less we were interested in them. The more they tried to hold on to the glory, they tried to hold on to the fame, they tried to turn our attention towards them, the less interested we became until the crowd actually started to kind of turn on them. And by the end of their set, we're actually kind of like, get on, like, no, like, like we're done with it. Chili Peppers came on and saved the day, by the way. But it, it taught me this. It taught me this, that when we try to hold on to the glory, when we try to hold on to the worship, when we try to hold on to the wow that only God deserves, it is somehow extinguished, it is somehow killed, it is somehow destroyed. We weren't made to absorb the worship that only God is to get, right? We need to become reflectors, mirrors, directing the worship, directing the glory, directing the wow to the only one who ultimately deserves it, and that one is God alone. And his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and his spirit that lives within us. We can't hold on to the wow that only God deserves. Isaiah goes into the temple. Uh, one of the ways that R.C. Sproul and others have framed this, and, and I'm going to go through a little kind of motif here, that he's going to experience that God rocks, and then he's going to get his world rocked. And then we're going to see that together they go to rock the world. But as he enters into the space of God, what we're going to see here is that God is just going to rock his world. So we see that Isaiah goes alone to the temple. Let me just say something about this. Uh, it has been said, of course, that we are who we really are when we're alone, you know, in the quiet by ourselves when nobody's looking. That is who we really are. We are who we really are, I believe, in many ways, and we're alone in worship to God. And so I pray, I mean, I love corporate worship, but corporate worship in many ways should be the culmination of a life of worship. So as we enter into this text, I invite you to enter into some reflection on who are you when you are alone with God? Or more specifically, do you get alone with God? Do you, like Isaiah, seek to steal away and be alone with God? in his word, in prayer, in quiet worship with him. I pray that you would give yourself the gift of being alone in worship to God. This is the gift that Isaiah has given to him, and he goes alone to worship God. And something interesting happens when he goes alone to worship God. God shows up, which leads then to another question. What do we expect to happen when we go to worship God? And do we expect God to show up? This is why I want for Connections to be an outreach-oriented church, ever reaching new people and bringing them into the fold of the church, into the communion of the body of Christ, into life in Jesus. Because here's where we old-timers in faith and walking with Jesus can learn something from the new people. New people come to worship expecting to meet God. And I love it. I love the freshness. I love the newness. I love the eager expectation that when we come into the house of God, God is going to show up by the power of the Spirit and something special is going to happen. And let me tell you, friends, when we come with that expectation, there is power. There is power when we gather in His name, when we're 
there's power when we join our hearts together, when we lift our hands together, when we raise our voices together. There is power when we become one as the body of Christ, and we can expect God to show up in powerful ways because God shows up when his people gather in his name. Amen, friends? That's an amen there, kind of the same. I mean, and so, so what I love is that God, I mean, whatever he was expecting, <laughs> and I don't know if he was expecting it, but God shows up. I mean, God rocks. I mean, God rocks the mount at Sinai. God rocks the boat when Jesus is with the disciples. God rocks the temple when he shows up. God is about to rock Isaiah's world because God has shown up. And I just want to invite us to become a church that is going to come to worship and expect to hear the truths of God proclaimed, that we can say yes and amen, but expect that God can meet us here. And when God meets, I mean, God meets his people in powerful ways throughout scripture. I mean, he does meet, he, he manifests himself in theophanies that, that, that change people's reality, that change people's experience. He shows up in dreams. He shows up in visions. Uh, heavenly hosts appear when the people of God come expectant to meet God in his house. Y you are not imposing on God something that isn't promised to us biblically to want to encounter him here because he clearly tells us that he shows up. Okay, so, so, so we're making that point abundantly clear. So he, he walks in, and lo and behold, he's having a, what it, now this is where it is unique, he is having a genuine theophany, a genuine experience of the presence of God manifesting, and what happens is the, the veil of heaven is lifted for him, and what he sees uniquely here is then the heavenly host, and this is where we're going to get into the wild worship. This is what they are declaring. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, there's a lot of preaching that could happen here. I'm going to have to just make a couple points and drive it through for us. Holy, holy, holy. We very rarely see things repeated three times, and this is the way we show emphasis. In our language, we would use um, adjectives to create, you know, very much, you know, or things like that. But repetition is key to show weight and importance. Holy, holy, the gold of the, of, of the temple of God. In, in fact, when you go to the Hebrew, the original language, um, they just used the word gold twice. They used gold, gold, you know, me meaning super, like, like, like super refined, super pure, super beautiful gold, gold. They used gold, gold to make all of these instruments for worship in the temple of God. But it is only God who gets the threefold. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then they add this. Oh, there's a lot to say on that. But then they say this. The whole earth is filled with his, his glory. Now, the glory of God is another word that has some interesting meanings. There, there, there's, there's, there's a weight to this. The, the glory of God weighs, presses upon, imposes itself on all of creation. Remember the movie, um, uh, uh, Back to the Future. I just love that movie, Back to the Future, and when everything is Marty is back, and, and, and the, then the doctor, he's trying to explain things to him. And uh, it's, a, it's a cute little scene, and he keeps saying, oh, heavy, oh, heavy. And then he has this line, he's like, is there something wrong with the gravitational pull in the future? Ha, 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 ha. But, but, but it, whenever he's hearing about this revelation to him, his response is, 
in a sense, what he's saying is this is glorious. You know, he's saying this is, this is more than I ever believed possible or I could imagine can happen in all of my existence. So there's a sense where he's saying this is glorious. And so he says, you know, this is heavy. And, and that's very accurate. The whole earth is filled with this glory. This glory hangs over, weighs upon, presses on all of creation. And, and Isaiah is having his eyes open to it. So what has m- happened here for him? And this is the point we need to make before we move on to other points. is simply that God has now moved from concept to reality for Isaiah. And this is the invitation for all of us. To allow God to move to us from the God concept, the God idea, the God hope, the God dream, to the God reality weighing upon us. And will we now conform our reality to God? See, God as a concept is very convenient. Because when God is only a concept, we can try to manipulate, twist, or mold that concept to what we want God to be. I would like God to look like this, to act like this, to function like this to answer prayers like this, to do this and that and everything that I ever wanted or dreamed or imagined. But when God moves to our reality, we are then willing to conform our reality to who God has truly revealed himself to be. So Isaiah, who has been a prophet, who has declared the works of the Lord, who has professed before multitudes and nations, who has affirmed yes and amen to the revelation of God and that God is the one true God of Israel and all these people. God yet is now moving deeper into Isaiah's life to say, yeah, I'm now moving you from this concept that which you professed to now your complete reality, Isaiah. And that invitation still stands for us. Will we allow God to move from the concept that we wish God to be to the reality that we know God is? And will this change fundamentally who we are? So God is now going to rock Isaiah's world. The interesting thing is he has this revelation of the reality of God imposing upon himself. This is his response. And here's where I want to have a little bit of fun with this. The response isn't wow. What was the response? Woe. There's a bit of a thing that has to happen in our lives as we get to the wow of worship. I don't think we ever get to the wow of worship if we don't go through the woe is me experience. Isaiah has to have this woe is me experience as he is, as is revealed to him the true reality of the holiness, the glory of who God truly is. His immediate response is woe to me. He is being undone. Very interestingly, um, he says, Woe is to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. This is very important. Isaiah is a prophet. He uses his lips. He uses his words. This is what God has called him to do. This is, in a sense, his greatest offering to God. I will be your spokesperson, God. And when he encounters God as reality, what is his immediate response my lips, the very thing I thought was my best, is unclean before a holy God. Now that's heavy. But he needs to be undone before he can be remade anew. 
And this happens to us. This happens to us in all kinds of ways. I mean, we think we're like the greatest athlete, and then somebody gets the best, better time. You know, we, we think we're the greatest musician, and then we hear they're like solo. You know, like we think we're like the greatest preacher, and then we listen to somebody else's podcast. And we, we, we think we're like the, the best looking one, and then she or he walks into the room. You know, like, like we've all, in a sense, been undone. That thing that we think is like the best thing about us, we have those experiences where we realize, oh, it's not all that I thought it was. But that's okay. But that's okay because as he is undone in God, he is about to be remade. And this is the call, and we'll jump all the way to Jesus Christ before we go back into the Isaiah passage. This is the essence then of what Jesus is inviting us to be born again, to be remade, to be transformed, to become made new in him. So this is Isaiah's experience. Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. And just when you think, you know, it, it's just, just useless for him to go on, God comes to him. Think back to where we were last week in the invitation of God. Think about where we are going in the Christmas season. God now comes to him. When he knows he can't make a move toward God, when he has nothing to offer God, when he has been undone, God comes to him. God sends the seraphim, purifies him, purifies his heart, purifies his life, and he is reborn afresh. And then we see this turn happen. We see this beautiful turn here that happens where as he is remade now, he hears something new from God. He hears from God. We'll just go back to the passage here. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I send me. As he's reborn, remade in God, he hears a fresh calling on his life. And his response is, here am I. Now, two, two observations about that. First, he has no idea where, where, where he's about to go. <laughs> but that doesn't matter anymore. He has no idea what he's about to be called to. He doesn't say, now God, show me the plan, and if I approve... I will go along with it. No, no, that doesn't hold anymore because the God concept is gone for Isaiah and now the God reality is his world. So he makes no imposition on God what this mission will be. Whatever is reality with God, whatever he calls me to, I'm going to go along with it. Here I am, send me without any stipulations, without any rider, I'll go whenever, wherever, whoever, however. It doesn't matter as long as I know I am sent and you are with me, I will go. And the way he phrases it is beautiful. Don't miss this part. Don't miss the beauty of this. He doesn't say, he does not say, here I am, here I am. And I love how the English translation gets it right. He says, here am I. Here I am is just that statement of possession. Here I am, <laughs> but he's making a statement of offering. Here am I. Here am I, God. And you are now my reality. And I will do whatever, whenever, wherever. I, 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 I am yours to send and abuse however you wish now, God. Here am I. That is the proper response when we experience the wow of worship 
the wow of God's holiness, the wow of God's grace, the wow of God's glory, the wow of the reality of God should evoke from us the simple, beautiful offering and response, here now am I made afresh in you, do with me whatever you choose. The team can start to get ready to bring us back into a time of worship, because what I want to do now is to move us very intentionally from the yes and amen to the wow of worship. And our team is going to help us to do this. And by the way, I want to just, uh, maybe we could do this right now. Can we thank our team as they come on up here? So I want to thank Chris. I want to thank our team. We had a very stressful morning <laughs> today. A group used the sanctuary. They rented it out from us. They did their best to set it up, but it wasn't set up. And they want their best. And so we thank God for bringing everything together. These team serves us. And what I want to invite us to do now is to move, again, because we want to be full of truth, yes, we proclaim the truth, but we want to be full of grace. And we want to say wow now to the grace of God and allow the fullness of that to come into expression of our worship. And I want us to move into the wow of worship and the wow of this Christmas season. Now, I want to say this as we move into the Christmas season season. And please don't read more or less to, to, to what, what I'm saying. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that most everybody here, maybe not everybody, and I hope we have a ton of newcomers. Let me just say that. I hope we have people fresh and new that have never been invited to church. They get invited, they come here, and they experience the reality of God. They walk in, and like Isaiah, they might just say, wow, I experienced a spirit, an atmosphere, a people like I've never experienced before, and I have to give God the credit for what just happened at Connections Church, that what just happened in this worship service. I do pray that happened, but here's what I want to say about Christmas. I'm guessing that you all know the story, right? I'm guessing that you know that a Savior was promised. I'm guessing that you know an angel appeared to Mary and promised to her a child would be born and the child would be the Son of God. I'm guessing you know that a census was called and Mary and Joseph journeyed to Bethlehem and there they gave birth to Jesus and an angel appeared and sang to the shepherds and magi came and gave their gifts and Herod tried to kill them. I'm guessing you know that story. In fact, I just told the story. <laughs> You know the Christmas story. You know the yes and the amen of the Christmas story. So what is left for us in the Christmas story? Wow. Wow. Glory, hallelujah, amen to the God who has come to us. What is left of the Christmas story is to join with the heavenly host. It won't be on the screen. Let me just read for you Luke. What happens with Luke? When the angel appears, do not be afraid. Think about Isaiah and his fear being undone. Do not be afraid, he says to the shepherds. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. For those of us that know the yes and amen of the Christmas story, we get to join now with heavenly hosts to get on with the business of worshiping him, of singing his praises, 
of declaring his glory, of simply saying, wow, to the grace of God who is with us in the manger, reigning and ruling and returning ever and always, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is my sincere hope and prayer for us as the people of God that we will be a, indeed, you know, that we will be a yes and amen of church. That on my part, I will go to the scriptures, I will preach the word to you, and that you can say with full confidence, yes and amen. But then together as the body of Christ, we may equally get on with this business of declaring his glory and singing with heavenly hosts and standing in awe, in awe of our God. So let me pray for us, and then let's do just that and worship our God. Heavenly Father, as we move now into some time for worship, I pray that your spirit will show up here. We trust in faith by the promise of your word that your spirit has been here as we've gathered in your name. But may you reveal yourself to us as a congregation and as individuals in powerful ways in transforming ways, in ways that might move you from simply a concept to our whole reality. Maybe for some of us, we will feel undone by this. When we stand in presence, in your presence, we will feel undone. Sorrow or remorse can wash over us as we confess our sin and repent. And that can be a beautiful thing because you can use that to then cleanse us and remake us and cause us to be reborn in Jesus Christ and to put our lives and our faith and our trust fully into you. And so, Lord, now we want to enter into this time of worship where you become the center of our reality. And in the reality of who you are, we can do nothing less than sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we see now how the whole earth is filled with your glory. So land on us now, land on our hearts, land on our minds, land in this space with the full weight of your holiness and your glory. We pray this as we sort of stand in fear of this in some ways, God, we pray this will become our reality. And then we pray Jesus. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs> 